This is the Sweet Bites with Sandra podcast. If you need a getaway, I am always a fan of my hometown of Las Vegas. So click the link in my show notes to find amazing offers, great deals from Vegas.com right now. You're listening to Sweet Bites with Sandra with your host, Dr. Sandra Colton Medici. Follow on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at Dr. Sandra Colton Medici. You can listen to the podcast live on Fireside and learn about upcoming course announcements, coaching programs, working one-on-one with Sandra, and new template releases by visiting collegeofstyle.com. Join Sandra on TikTok, Pinterest, and Twitter at College of Style today. Hi, I'm Sandra, and I'd like to invite you to subscribe and listen to my new podcast, Sweet Bites with Sandra. Satisfy your entrepreneurial sweet tooth in each episode full of digital business tips, inspiring interviews, asides from my entertainment career, and rewards to celebrate your sweet success. Find Sweet Bites with Sandra on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This episode was recorded live on Fireside. Thank you so much for joining me on the Sweet Bites with Sandra podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sandra Colt-Medici, and today I will be joined by my very special guest, Stephanie Sabulis. She is a social media marketing veteran and strategist, and she is going to be spilling the tea on what exactly NILs are and how they are going to impact sports and the NCAA. My name is Stephanie Sabulis, and you're right, I am both an entrepreneur entrepreneur and um I've worked like as an entrepreneur in companies my own businesses and also have worked in mostly in social and digital media so I've been working with social media for 10 years now 12 years I've been working with social media since it was a thing um since like Facebook like launched their whole business like thing I didn't go to school for it it was like this new thing in 2012 when I graduated and I got really thrown into it and I've just been figuring out things ever since. Um, Since then, I've worked at agencies in New York. I've worked at agencies um, nationally. And I've worked in both like the social media, I guess, community manager space is what it would be considered now in my earlier days. And then I really transitioned into um, influencer marketing. So when I, um, in my last position, which I was at up until 2020, I was actually doing the design work of influencer campaigns. So I've done it for clients that are pretty big. Some of my clients, Oreo, Southwest Airlines, and I was actually the person designing the campaigns and saying from a marketing perspective, okay, this is how we use influencers in this space. Um, I have kind of overseen, I've managed campaigns, I've done pretty much everything. Um, it comes to when working with um influencers. I've designed grassroots programs for people who wanted to know how to make influencer work for them. Um, And then in 2020, I actually founded a company called Social Creates Impact, um, which is really kind of designed on a whim as a legacy brand to help influencers get better at understanding the marketing side. Um, There's such a huge gap for us in the industry right now because we don't have an understanding of like what marketers are looking for. There's very, there's a lot of hush hush about like the like role of influencers and actually coming together with brands to create better collaboration. So I created Social Creates Impact to create resources that are actually going to help influencers grow from the marketing perspective. So there's tons of people out there helping them who are who are influencers and want to help, you know, up and coming influencers. But I take a different perspective coming from the brand side and saying, okay, like this is, you know, how you can make yourself valuable to us. And these are what our needs are. Um, So I've 
got involved with NIL because I am a former high school athlete. Um, didn't play in college, unfortunately, which was maybe if NIL was a thing, maybe that would have been different. But I do have sports in my background. I'm a huge football fan. Um, the Giants and the 49ers are my team. I also am a born and raised Yankee <laughs> fan. So anybody if, out there a Giants or 49er fan, you can clap. <laughs> you can, <laughs> I mean, I don't, don't even get me started on like me having two teams because that's a point of contention with everybody. But, you know, I moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. Um, so I have two teams now. So. <laughs> no worries. Well, so let's talk about NILs because a lot, maybe people in the audience today don't know what that means, but um, I coming from, you know, entertainment background, that totally makes sense to me. And I also was a cheerleader in college. So um, if you can explain a little bit more about NILs and how that has kind of come to the marketplace. When I first realized that it was um, going to be a big deal was when the whole Madden video game name, you know, image and likeness was kind of a, a big deal in the court system. So if you want to just kind of briefly touch on what that is. Yeah, so what it, and and I know basically applies to everybody. So it's not just athletic. It's just that, and, and I talked to like a thought leader in the business space about this when they created this whole movement in the athlete space. They uncreatively named it NIL. <laughs> so the athletes are like, yeah, error of NIL. Um, uncreatively, NIL applies to it stands for name, image, and likeness. So basically, like, that's your brand. That's your personal brand. That's your presence online, digitally. If you have a website, that is you as a person, as an athlete. That is, like, your name, which is yours to keep. Your image, so what you look like, what you produce, things like that. And your likeness, which is in the entertainment world, which you're probably familiar with, you know, a brand can't capitalize off of your name, off of who you are, like as a celebrity, like a random brand can't come and just talk about how you do things without really your permission or without you being part of the role. Um, and in the sports world where it's kind of transitioning into this era where previously college athletes couldn't monetize off of it. So we're talking about monetization specifically where just like in the athlete space at the pro level, you're familiar with like, you know, who's a uh, Peyton Manning does the nationwide commercials or he does. I think he's nationwide. Nationwide is on your side. Um, he did yeah, one he of those. Like, Papa insurance. John's. Yeah, Papa John's, and Papa John's, <laughs> oh, even like, yeah, like people would know Papa John's, but Peyton Manning doing Papa John's is like a really good example of like him capitalizing on Papa John's capitalizing on who Peyton Manning is. And he receives money from doing those endorsements and doing those commercials, obviously, and being involved with the brand. He receives money from that. Previously, only pro athletes could do it, and they prevented college athletes from really being able to do it. And I think what happened was in the era of social media, that became a really big deal because now you have all of these influencers basically on the side doing their what they want to do in high school, starting these businesses, starting these brands. And then if they wanted to play sports in college, the NCAA, the NCAA was like, no, you can't capitalize and monetize off your name, image, and likeness. So they didn't really even have right. the opportunity to be entrepreneurs. They didn't have opportunity to sign deals. Madden couldn't use them as players to like sell a video game. So there was a lot of like things that these college athletes couldn't do. And then basically 
in a really power move, they reversed the decision and completely like opened those doors back open to college athletes. So they call it the era of NIL because now name, image, and likeness monetization is now available to athletes. The way it's available to pretty much reg- everyday regular influencers, entertainers, celebrities, etc. Well, so let me just pop in here because I was reading something during the, I thought this was a timely topic because of the NCAA um, Final Four and what's, you know, a really big moneymaker for, um, you know, a lot of brands to get in front of, you know, the target audience in that, you know, really useful market. Um, But then at the same time, there were, you know, some inequities being, you know, publicized on social media, specifically by women's teams and my alma mater um, at University of Oregon, some of my duck girls, uh, who, who I should say duck women playing basketball, um, you know, were not given the same kind of um, treatment and and equity when it came to the weight room and things of that nature. And that was quickly remedied, um, just being publicized on social media. But I'd also seen a tweet, and I'm forgetting who the gentleman was who tweeted it, but basically, you know, the NCAA has your name, image, and likeness for all of what they're doing, and yet they're a nonprofit. Um, and so you're thinking about how all these other people are, are capitalizing on, you know, um, on sports figures. And yet the tweet was more so about musicians who go to college, you know, at, at Juilliard or, or wherever they're going to school can monetize off of music that they're making. And, you know, other, other, you know, entities can, can capitalize off of different things, whether, but the, the sports entities are the ones that are really being held back. So where do you see, as far as the doors being flung open on that, how far have they been, um, you know, widened as far as what people can do? So we're still kind of in a holding pattern right now, from what I understand in the last, like, I was updated on it, which sometimes things change daily, and I don't keep up, to be honest. Um, But the last time I actually got the update on it, they were still waiting, and it's happening at a state level. Um, So there was only a few states in the U.S. right now that's actually passed what they call NIL legislation, uh, which basically set the groundwork and the ground rules for schools in their state to actually, you know, go forward with the NIL regulation. So I think a lot of it's like a holding mm-hmm. pattern where we're still waiting to understand how states are going to mandate this, what the rules are going to be in the specific states and how it is that the schools aren't actually necessarily equipped either to handle what's about to come at them. Um, I've been on a couple of panels like with conference level things with, you know, people that are in the business of sports and in the business of college sports specifically. Um, Christy Dosh is one of them that I've been working hand in hand with. If you're familiar with her, she does a lot of writing about the business of college sports, pretty pro at it. Um, But she, um, Basically, we've been on conferences and, you know, besides the fact that you're talking about athletic directors not being necessarily millennials or people that grew up with social, so they don't have, like, the knowledge of, like, really what this means in the social sphere, um, they're also not equipped at the school level to understand what guidelines and guardrails they may have to put in place, you know. Are they going to have school-wide, you know, restrictions on certain categories? Because if you're familiar with college sports, you know, it's like now opening the doors to have the Nike logo on their football jerseys or something. Um, and like how that's going to impact mm. what what people can do individually. So there's like a whole ecosystem that needs to be developed within college sports that I think people are still just trying to grasp right now while they're waiting for these states to pass a legislator and they're waiting for the legislation to go into effect. It reminds me a lot of, you know, when you see like an NBA um, 
basketball player and he's got his own shoes right and you know when you look at um you know ncaa basketball like they're all wearing the same brand and and it almost feels like the breakup of a big bank <laughs> you know what i mean like like will now each player now have their own shoe deal and then be you know playing with you know maybe they'll create you know shoe colors for each particular individual but they'll be wearing one will wear adidas and one will wear nike and one will wear puma and and will it then be a cohesive team um you know under the same kind of you know what i mean like i feel like there's there's a lot that could be done that way and and how do you really do that you know yeah i mean it's not like the decisions these people have to make are not easy because if you turn around and say well no we're gonna have a team level deal on let's say sneakers where you can't wear anything but what we what our team has a deal with a specific sponsor then you're you're saying the individual can't have a deal in that category and that doesn't mean they can't do other things that just means like they can't have another shoe sponsorship because they're making it mandated at the school level that they can't do this. That's what one of the examples of like what a guardrail would need to be put in place. But I think there's just so many implications because if you turn around and put that guardrail in place, then you're saying, okay, well, the, we care more about, you know, now the colleges being able to benefit and profit off of having these brand deals and having people that are on national television wear their brand, like that becomes a for-profit entity. And I think there needs to be some understanding of like, you know, especially because a lot of schools are not for, not considered not for profit, they have to really kind of understand the ecosystem and what they're able to do at the college level within their own like schools as well. Um, and, you know, how, just how far are you going to monetize college sports, I think is a really big question that is plaguing administrators right now. And they don't really have answers to that. Um, they're still trying to figure out like what that looks like and how can you do that safely and how can you do that fairly and how can you do that in a way that's benefiting the college. Like, I think there's a lot of internal decisions that they're making because there's just so many implications of swinging these doors wide open. Yeah, well, so let's talk about really quickly, because I know we've already been on 15 minutes. <laughs> I feel like we could just go for an hour. But what about social influencers? Because I know that the new terminology um, that we've kind of heard around, you know, uh, marketing is content creators instead of influencers so where do you see because i know that with social creates impact you are providing resources for influencers as far as the their ability to know their space and be able to monetize more effectively and really um brand themselves um you know from the internal side as far as deal making and things like that versus just you know leaving it up to um, you know, whatever brands want for, you know, from them, because I feel like there's so many, so many influencers and content creators who are, you know, at the mercy of, oh, you have to create 14 posts and, and get on lives and, and we're only going to pay you a hundred dollars, you know, and all of these things, instead of really um, being, um, you know, standing on solid footing for their brand and, um, you know, knowing their worth. So where do you see this kind of influencer slash content creator space going um, in the future? One of the big things you hit are like pain point for me, <laughs> but one of the big <laughs> things that I and I uh, people love when I talk about it because there's so much truth to it. But it's something that I've been seeing for a few years now is there's very much a difference between an influencer and a content creator and influencer marketing is young. 
in the past few years, we have kind of grouped a content creator under an influencer without the understanding that if someone creates content, it doesn't mean they're influential. So my big shtick right now is getting people to understand brands and, you know, people alike, that there is a huge difference between an influencer and a content creator. An influencer can move people. Like, they have the authority and the credibility to get up and say, like, you know, anything, whether it be to endorse a product or endorse a cause or whatever it may be and get people to follow them. That's what an influencer is. And creating content doesn't necessarily give you the authority and credibility to be an expert at something. You really need to like actually work on that aside from content creation. Um, so we have varying degrees of people who are influencers who may not be the best content creators, but if they say something um, that you'll listen. And one of my favorite examples of someone like this is a, um, an actress named Jamila Jamil. If you're familiar, she was on The Good Place. Mm -hmm. um, she doesn't have the prettiest feed and doesn't have the craziest content. She does a lot of iPhone stuff, but she's so influential in body positivity and super influential in what it is that she does, and that makes her an influencer. And then you have people on the, the spectrum, like on the other end, who, if you are familiar, and not to bring his name up, but he just comes up you know, in general, because he's been talked about a lot on the news, but David Dobrik started as a content creator. He created videos. And so he, mm -hmm. his path wasn't that he may have become influential over time because he got to some kind of celebrity status and some of that was granted to him, but he's not on the same level as a Jamila Jamil, even as a celebrity, because he's known for the fact that he creates content and people are entertained by the content that he does. Um, content creators, people that shoot from a photography standpoint or just shoot really beautiful, like travel things, like if you just shoot content and you don't go into the value of the content and like really go in deeply to like what gives you authority and credibility to influence people, you stay a content creator. So we have these various degrees of like influence and content creation, mm -hmm. like on a spectrum really, because you can be both um, and you will exceed if you do both, but there's, there's two different distinctions that need to be made in terminology to, to get people to understand that there's a difference. And even from a brand perspective, get brands to understand that if you want to move people and your goal is to create sales, you need to work with people that are influential. If your goal is to create content for your brand, you need to be working with a content creator. If your goal is to do both, you need to be working with someone who has the ability to do both and understand how to look for that. So a lot of what I've been doing mm -hmm. has been like, teaching right. people the difference between the two of them and then really what do you need to work on to be like sway because influence is actually going to be able to sustain you a lot longer than content creation will content creation is going to be around for a while but it's still very much a trendy fad thing that we value content creation so much uh increasing your influence actually increases your worth a mm -hmm. lot better right well so it's so funny that you were saying like there's well, not funny, but very, very di big distinction between content creation and influence. And, you know, one might be able to have the other. Um, but I was, I'm forgetting who it was. I don't think it was Robert De Niro. I think it was, um, it was a filmmaker, but he was basically saying the distinction between a content creator and a filmmaker. And that be by saying that someone who is um, creating like short films and things like that for YouTube is um, diluting the word filmmaker by calling themselves a content creator. And I just thought that was so right on because there's an aspect to both that, um, you know, as far as creating content, cre you know, whatever that may be entails a certain process and creating 
a certain genre of film also creates a you know is a certain process for creation and and just understanding that you know if you are not necessarily an influencer but you're a content creator which part of that is diluted um in the same fashion that he was saying you know uh, a filmmaker and saying yourself you're a filmmaker has much more impact and much more credibility than saying you're a content creator if you're making movies um it was just and i'm forgetting which which um director it was uh, i think it might have been martin scorsese actually um but it just it really is an interesting and fascinating topic that i think a lot of people really aspire sometimes to be influencers and the the idea of what that is um to a lot of people from the very beginning was you know, the, the shopping hall, the unboxing, the, you know, oh, I got all this free stuff instead of, you know, what influencer I think has become, which is more cause driven um, and, and more identifiable with um, somebody's personal authentic brand. So um, I don't know, I'm sure you have much more to say on that. Um, oh, for sure. I mean, because consumer habits are changing too. And I think that's one of the reasons why this distinction has to happen is that the, and you wouldn't believe it if i said it because it doesn't seem like it it seems like people kind of blindly follow influencers but consumer habit wise people are less trustworthy like they know that people are getting paid at this point to, to tout these brands and that doesn't mean influencers don't work anymore but there's just a lot more that's needed from that influencer to sell a product than there used to be because people know that this is happening um, and so the consumer habits and consumer trust is actually declining rapidly. A lot of people don't talk about it because what influencer marketing brand wants to talk about the fact that consumer trust is declining while trying to sell you influencer marketing products. I mean, that doesn't make sense at all, does it? Um, but it's actually happening. And what you need to realize is that it's not the way that we do influencer right now is not sustainable for the future. And, you know, we've talked with professionals in the space and they really said, you know, influence is going to bubble. It's going to get to the point where influence no longer works because it imploded on itself, like almost because you didn't create it in a sustainable way. If we just keep defining influence as exactly what you said, like unboxing and content creation, you know, content creation itself is going to be applicable to up supply and demand. So as soon as you have an oversupply of content creators, which we're getting very close to, um, an oversupply of content creators is going to actually then decrease the worth and the price because supply and demand will apply. Whereas influence is a little bit more sustainable because people, if they have the ability to move people in a certain direction, that's way more valuable and way more sustainable than whether or not con you can create content. So there's just so many like different things that we have to think about in terms of sustainability of influence too, um, because not separating them is really doesn't help us to like, understand what this is going to look like in the future and to help guide it in the right direction. Is your business not connecting or converting your followers online? Book your brand audit today by visiting collegeofstyle.link forward slash brand audit. I look forward to working with you to move the needle on your business and jumpstart your 2022 with strategic messaging and up-leveled visual branding. Click the link and I'll talk to you soon. You totally reminded me, and this is, you know, probably the worst example because, you know, Oprah is is Oprah. So, um, you know, she's not exactly an influencer. She's a star, right? She's an icon. But when you think about, you know, her ending her TV show and, and then coming back with this, you know, she has her own network, right? But she doesn't always have shows. Um, but, but she came back with her, you know, um, 
uh, Megan and Harry special. And it was everywhere. And that's kind of one of those examples of she has the kind of sway that a lot of these influencers are trying to, you know, uh, trying to get uh, because she can go away for years and years and years. But that solid foundation that she had, you know, generated is is palpable. People listen when she talks. People, you know, pop, you know, their ears perk up when she says, oh, I'll be on TV. They're like, when and where? I need to figure out my Roku. <laughs> you know, like, like all of that stuff because she has that kind of sway and that influence that I think a lot of people already trust because she's already put in the work. Um, I just wonder as we move forward, how many of the influencers will, you know, kind of peter off, so to speak, like kind of just like, the energy behind it is not sustainable for a lot of people because there's so much work that people put into the content creation side of things, obviously, but the chasing of the algorithm, which is another thing, which is really just monetizing the amount of time people are spending on any one given app at a time um, and not really focusing on, um, you know, what their authentic true self is to get that, tr you know, the no like and trust factor of what their personal brand is out there and set that foundation so that if they did go away for any amount of time, they could come back and it would make um, an impact. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that has to do a lot with building your personal brand the way Oprah did. I mean, like, I don't think people talk enough about what you do beyond influence and you really need to build up your brand and be about more than just, again, like you hit the nail on the head chasing the algorithm. Um, and I, I, you know, if you've ever seen me post about the algorithm, I'm like big middle finger up to the algorithm because I don't think the algorithm <laughs> matters when you build a personal brand, because why would you care about you know whether or not you get double the reach or triple the reach like i understand people want to grow because from a monetization standpoint we're incentivizing that we're not incentivizing and and always there's always going to be that piece of it because reach is so important to an, being an advertising metric that reach is always going to help you get more monetization so i understand it completely that people want to do what they can to grow but at the same time making yourself a slave to an algorithm doesn't necessarily help you understand who you are is your authentic self, how it is that you're different from people out there and create content that genuinely is an expression of you as well as being what your audience is looking for in terms of value. So, I mean, I don't like the algorithm and you're right, the algorithm itself is not sustainable because if you notice over the past three or four years, we've now understood how much social media takes a toll on mental health. And now we're going in the opposite direction and we it's a lot more popular where you see people say, clean up your feeds, don't follow people that make you feel like crap because our habits as humans are to follow people that we envy and make, make us feel like crap because we think we have to have all the same clothes. And you know, I got to that point a little bit earlier than a lot of people did. I got to that point last year when I decided to create Social Creates Impact and do something about it. But I was getting to the point where I'm like, you don't understand how much being on Instagram as a professional drains my wallet because every other thing I see, I like, I buy. 
And that's not financially sustainable <laughs> for me either. And we're going to get to a point where we can't even be even more commercial because it's not financially sustainable as a whole either. Just like it's not fine. It's not sustainable on mental health for you to constantly be comparing yourself to people you see online as in their highlight reel. Like we know these things are coming and they're going to drastically change the way it is that we're using social media, but then also change the way we, we relate to influencers and how it is we relate and what it is we're looking for. So we want that trust factor we we're going to value authenticity which is such a hard word to describe but we're going to value authenticity more um, because we want people to be real we want something to feel a lot more realer and relatable and rather than be envious of this person's lifestyle because they're jet setting around the world and we're sitting here watching them from our phones right or listening or to listening them to them stuff. right or <laughs> watching them on a video and like why are like to me i mean to me too it's like you know at what point are we getting to a point where we're we care more about capturing things on our cell phones than we do about living the experience too and i think a lot of people are realizing that now and how is that going to change influence like how is that going to make people be different and show up online and you know you could see us kind of gravitating a little bit more to these different people because we're noticing that the behavior of our past couple years the way we defined influencer is changing Right. Well, I so appreciate what you have offered in this chat. And, um, you know, if anybody wanted to locate Social Creates Impact or you online, what's the best place for them to find you? Yeah, so you can find me at Social Creates Impact on Instagram. And if you want to find me on anything else, I would go to socialcreatesimpact.com. That has pretty much all my links everywhere and a lot of the resources that I have and what I'm all about, my background and stuff like that. But I'm most active on Instagram right now, just dropping stuff daily. <laughs> like, um, content creation is fun for me in that aspect. So I like to keep it that way. Uh, I feel like I'm really helping people by giving them the perspective and hopefully be part of the change I want to see. I, that's the biggest thing that Social Creates Impact was to me was, you know, you can spend forever scrolling on social media wishing that it would change and at some point you have to make a decision whether you know you're gonna sit and complain about it within your industry about how much you hate it and still take part in it because the money's there or are you gonna you know do something about it and be part of the change you want to see so that's where i'm at right now i really want this industry to change and be more sustainable and be about better stuff um, so that's where it is that I put my energy and my spare time and help complement what I'm doing in the um, influencer marketing brand side of things. Well, I so appreciate you um, coming on. And I know that people have for sure appreciated your point of view and perspective and knowledge and expertise on this as well in the chat. Um, obviously, this is a different platform um, where people are interactive and, um, you know, I value the the like feedback so thank you so much Megan and Lily and Haley and Matt and Seth and Susan and Terry and Christine and Jimmy and Kevin and um, Terry and everybody else who might be listening worldwide that we cannot see you in the platform um, or on the replay of this as well um, my name is Dr. Sandra Colton-Medici and my guest today was Stephanie Sipoulis of socialcreatesimpact.com check her out on social on IG on her website she's got amazing um, speaking gigs that she does as well as online courses to really bring the resources to um, 
to the masses for social influence. And, and I really think she's going to be spearheading some of the some of the stuff that we see as far as the NIL era that she was talking about. So thank you so much for joining me, Stephanie. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And I really love being on this app. So, you know, I'm excited about its future. I am. I may have to do this on my own. Yay. Well, thank you so much. And um, I'm going to end the end right now. So please do me a favor. And if you're listening right now, please share it. College of Style is ready with a great shopping experience for you this holiday season. And better yet, to say thank you for shopping my store, use the discount code HELLO15 to get 15% off of your first order. Visit shopcollegeofstyle.com and type in HELLO15 at checkout. And then tag me on socials and let me know how you like your purchase. If you would like to sponsor an episode of Sweet Bites with Sandra, make sure to send an email to info at sandracoltamedici.com. Include in the subject line, be a sponsor.